Hey everyone, Ben here with a quick interruption before we get into today's episode to let you know that we have been nominated for a Sports Podcast Award. Yippee! That is very, very exciting. We are actually incredibly honoured and excited to have that nominee. And you, the listener, yes, the very person that is listening to this right now can help us win a Sports Podcast Award and get us on the podium for once rather than always being off the podium. To do so, head to sportspodcastawards.com. Dot com register to vote click on the best olympic and paralympic podcast category where you can then vote for us to win now you will have to listen to the other nominees as well but let's be honest you know you're going to vote for us because you're listening to our show today which means we know you like us and we'd very much appreciate the vote in advance sportspodcastawards.com that's how you do it and we thank you in advance and everybody who votes for us we promise to thank you in our acceptance speech should we win. Right now, I'm going to shut up, play some music, and then you're going to hear me talk again as we get into today's episode of Off the Podium. Enjoy. They're standing and they're applauding that dramatic performance by James Orville and Christopher Dean. Alex Philodeau. It takes a lot to make him happy and he is clearly pleased. She's up, she's moving nicely. She's got a hit. Yes! Sally Stegger, 132.67, has won at least the medal. She's 0.24 up. Yuki! On the ice with the Gimlet. The Gimlet scoping! It is Off the Podium, an Olympics podcast coming to you today for a bit of a special episode. We are speaking with somebody who is probably a lot more familiar to our Canadian listeners than our Australian listeners, a man who would have been very familiar during the Tokyo coverage as well as the Pyeongchang coverage a couple of years ago on CBC, Devon Haru, a uh, reporter who got a bit of prominence actually during Tokyo for his love of 7-Eleven, which is actually something we don't really talk too much about in this interview, but we learn a lot from Devon in regards to how he got started in journalism and what led him to want to cover the Olympics right through to his memories and extraordinary moments during the Tokyo Olympics as well as Pyeongchang and looking ahead towards Beijing and how he will be involved in the coverage of CBC throughout those games as well. Very, very fun chat this one. Really, really great to learn a great insight from Devon and everything to do with his broadcasting career. And I even get a sneaky question in the end about a certain little sporting event that he was able to cover a couple of years ago outside of the Olympics and one that I uh, very much was very jealous of. You're going to enjoy this one as much as I enjoyed recording it. Here is our chat with CBC reporter Devon Haru. (laughs) 
bit of a special interview for you today on Off the Podium as we are going to learn a little bit more about the broadcasting side of things and what it's like to cover an Olympic Games. And I'm just saying this right now. I've often said when we speak to some athletes from some sports that that's my sport, I played that sport, I did this. But when it comes to real things, what I want to strive towards in Olympics, it's what this man does because this man is doing the, probably the only achievable thing I can ever do to an Olympics and that's go to one and talk about it. Uh, he is best known to our Canadian listeners as a sports and uh, news reporter on CBC and he's recently returned from Tokyo, both the Paralympics and Olympics and is, I think, also heading to Beijing very, very shortly to cover those as well. It's a pleasure to welcome to Off the Podium the one, the only, Mr. Devon Haru. First of all, Devon, pleasure to have you here on the show. Welcome to Off the Podium. Ben, that is the most relatable introduction <laughs> to, to anything I've ever done in my life, because it, you've you've hit exactly why I am a sports journalist, because I was never good enough to do any of the bloody things that any yep. of these athletes do. So it, it is an awesome pleasure as well to be joining you. And yes, if you can't beat them, write about them. Exactly, exactly. Because you do get to a certain age, right, where you're like, oh, the Olympics, this would be great. And then when you've probably tried 50 different sports and realise you are crap at all of them, you're like, well, maybe I should talk or write about them. That could be my next best option. I mean, I'm sure, you know, you probably have done some research and you'll know that the closest I ever came to maybe entertaining that idea was with curling. And there was mm -hmm. a time in my life when I won two high school city curling championships in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan, where I thought <laughs> I am destined for greatness for the five rings. <laughs> that all came crashing down. <laughs> you still got time, right? Like, I mean, you know, kind of this plenty. You're still young. Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I'm well, still looking and, at and curling for as an Australian. Like, we've never had a curler at the Olympics. So come to Australia. You, you'd probably be our number one curler in five minutes. Do you know there are many Canadians that have left our borders and, and gone to the roaring game in many places around the world to live out their world champion? <laughs> we, we thank you for him very much so. So we've got one of them here in Australia exactly. as one of our greatest. So uh, it, it happens. Exactly. Did you have a light bulb moment sort of growing up outside of that that you wanted to pursue broadcasting? Was this something that you actually mm. had always wanted to, to do? Mm, that's a good question. And I was actually talking to my mother about this the other day, how sort of serendipitous my career has been, Ben. Um, I love sport. Um, I've been reminded recently, sort of in the wake of the pandemic, and let's be clear, of course, we're still in the throes of it, aren't we? But yep. uh, our, our Toronto Blue Jays went on a, a pretty magical late September, early October run and just missed out on the playoffs. And I went to the games as a fan. I was spending way too much money on overpriced resale tickets just to be at the Sky Dome in downtown Toronto. And as I was walking down to the stadium and sitting in these horrible seats at the Dome, I was reminded of my love of sport and I was reminded of my love of watching sport collectively with people and riding the wave of the emotion and it got back to my 10 year old self in saskatchewan going to rough rider cfl games <laughs> and just being completely swept away by like i said that collective experience um the joy of your team winning the heartbreak which happens more often than not of your team or your athlete losing 
and I was just swept away in it. Sport has always meant community to me. And um, <clears throat> I just wanted to have the best seat to it all the time. And the way to ensure that was to be a journalist. I mean, I was 14 years old volunteering at a community television station, pulling cables for sporting events, sort of begrudgingly at that time in my life, thinking one day I will be the talent and roll in a half hour before showtime and not be pulling these bloody cables. But it was just this innate want my entire life. And when I was 16 years old, I was on CBC radio for the first time talking about the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. And one thing led to another. And in, in one way or another, I have been with the CBC since I was 16 years old. So more than half of my life now. And um, I fell into it. I fell into it. I think I have the best job in, in the world. And I'm told by that, by many, many people on Twitter and emails and everything else, that how is it that you get paid to go watch the biggest sporting events in the world. And I probably asked myself that question. And there are probably moments, Ben, where I feel like the biggest imposter every day I go to work and go, what do I need to do today to keep this job? That's literally all these years later what I'm wow. doing. Wow, incredible, incredible. And and I mean, growing up in Saskatchewan, I mean, obviously the Rough Riders, uh, I mean, that's just a whole province thing, right? Like you talk passionate fan bases in, in Canada where you've got one province behind one team, it's the Rough Riders. Yeah, that's it. And, and you know, my dad won tickets uh, for us to go when I was 10 years old. It was a November day in Saskatchewan, chilly, but a perfect, brilliant, sunny day. I mean, Ben, when I'm telling you this, it, it's so vivid to me because it had such an impact on my life. And, you know, we sat in the end zone that day in Saskatchewan. There were 31,000 people at that game, Saskatchewan versus Hamilton. The Rough Riders went on a magical run that year. And I thought, this is what the Rough Riders do every year. And if, if anyone listening follows this team, they're horrible. They're horrible. Um, so they got me. They got me at the beginning and I was hooked. But yeah, it is such a community thing. And of course, I grew up in Saskatoon. The games are in Regina. It's a two and a half hour drive there, two and a half hours back. So you're driving five to six hours to watch a three hour game. And we all do it. And it's kind of like a provincial celebration when the team plays. And yeah. That, you know, my being from Saskatchewan, Ben, really, really paved the way for for how I approach sport, but also how I report on it and how I share these stories. And I think it resonates with people because all people want to feel is they, they, they want to feel it. They want to feel what was happening. Yeah. And that's what I try and do with my reporting. Which I think... I can definitely relate to that. So I'm from Tasmania in Australia. We're a smaller state and, you know, we're also not really represented in the big national competitions and things like that. So when we do have a team, it's a big deal. When we have an Olympian, it's it's a big deal. We all know who our Olympians are and our players who go on to play in our major sporting leagues. It's that sense of community. And you're right, kind of when you're reporting on that from a, a more personal level, whereas if you're in Toronto or Calgary or Vancouver where it's kind of just – standard that you've got these players all the time it's it's a little bit different isn't it and i'm so glad you said that because it's I've, I've talked about this many times throughout my career is in saskatchewan there was always this us versus a world sort of feeling and how i you know this is a great segue to the olympics and my love of the olympics but 
how I fell in love with the Olympics was was during 1998 Nagano when our curling team from Saskatchewan, Sandra Schmerler, the late great Sandra Schmerler, went to Nagano and took on the world and kicked ass and won gold. And it was the first time in my life I felt like the games were closer than they've ever been. Like they were they were an hour down the road from me, this young woman from bigger Saskatchewan with three other women who were literally like your next door neighbors. They were hilarious. They joked on the ice. They were like the people next door. And now I'm watching them on my TV, Ben, and they're winning Olympic gold. And it was the first time in my life, and I'm getting goosebumps telling you this <laughs> to this day. It was the first time in my life where I went, wow, we are from this small prairie province, but we can go and take on the world and be the best at what we do. And I fell in love with the games, and I've been a, an Olympic and Paralympic junkie since that time. And then to be in, in Pyeongchang, and be broadcasting curling with one of Sandra Schmerler's teammates, Joan McCusker. All those years later, let me tell you, I had a lot of emotional moments because in what freaking life, in what <laughs> dream do all those years later, do you get to be broadcasting with the person who was on the ice winning gold, who allowed you to believe all of your dreams? Um, pretty, pretty spellbinding stuff for me. And my life has sort of always been like this. And I hope, I hope that never runs out. Which again, I love hearing things like that because, you know, we often speak to a lot of athletes on this show who are saying they're watching an Olympics and then four years later, they're on the same team as, you know, Tessa Virtue, Scott Moyer, things like that. You know, they never could imagine they'd be teammates with them, but it does happen in sort of your industry as well, where you are in that privileged position where you get to interview these people, but then there you are in a commentary box with someone like that kind of calling it. So it's sort of, it's interesting how, you know, you can strive to be an Olympian, but there's still that level of, of that broadcast side of things, which is the Olympics literally covering it of broadcasting is going to the Olympics. You nailed it. And I always joke about that um, on Twitter when I'll be out running and doing like a sweaty video, a breathless video, like <laughs> updating people on my Olympic preparation and, and, you know, when you say that, I think about it and I, I do it half jokingly, but it is the Olympics of what we do as well. And it's not lost on me when I'm at these games and when I'm in the commentary tribune or in the press box where I am. And I get to these events really, really early so that I can carve out a little bit of time for me to remind me of the grandeur of these moments that I'm covering. Because if you've been to an Olympics, here's what I'll say about this, and I'm kind of all over the place, but this is what's coming to mind when you and I talk about this. When you're there at a stadium, and, and in particular in Tokyo, when these venues were empty, it's kind of lackluster. Like when you're sort of waiting around for everything to happen, it's a very lackluster experience. You're still at the Olympics, but you're like, where the hell is the buzz and the pomp and the circumstance? It was so bizarre, Ben. But then, you know, I was at the Tokyo Aquatic Center uh, a lot of the days. But then when a Canadian wins a medal or a gold medal, I'm pacing just like every Canadian in the press box watching these races because for that 30, 30 seconds or two minutes or however long the race is, 
it is still for an Olympic medal. Yeah. And that will never get old. It's because it's that balancing act, isn't it? That you're there to do a job, but you're still a Canadian. <laughs> you're still there cheering for your athletes to to win a gold. So you've kind of got a, that professionalism versus that, oh, the head versus heart. Like, what do I do here? <laughs> I hate it. I hate it, Ben. I hate it because I, I, I do. I'm kind of old school in the sense that, you know, there is no cheering in the press box. And let me tell you the shadiness of my eye rolls at the international <laughs> journalists who are literally <laughs> waving flags yep. in the press yep. box and cheering. Yep. And I'm just going, what in the hell is going on here? However, it does give me a little bit of a license to like, you know, maybe <laughs> give a little, little quiet, yep. <laughs> little golf clap in the background. I remember being but, at a cricket uh, match in Hobart once and it was like Australia versus India and you had the very big Indian contingent, of course, very passionate about cricket, more so than even we are. And yeah, they're, they're going off when something little happens and we're all going like, well, this is a bit unprofessional, but they're loving it. So why not? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and, and the other thing of it is, is you are such a fan and I am such a fan of sport and Canadians winning and of a great story. So, you know, your adrenaline naturally is, is pumping, but then I have to reel myself in and go, Devin, you have to write a thousand really brilliant words <laughs> yep. in a very short amount of time, reel it in. Now is not the time to be celebrating in the press box. So you're right. It is this weird thing. And, you know, there were some really brilliant moments at national stadium when Andre de Grasse was so good for Canada and I had a front row seat to it. In fact, I was in the mix zone and had to do the national live interview with the guy. Wow. And, and you're so in awe of his athleticism and yet you gotta sound coherent and smart and together and really all you want to do is go how the hell did you just do that andre and sometimes you know what that's not a bad question in in my eyes because because some of these post-race or post-event interviews that i watch the first question takes you out of the moment and as a viewer I don't want to be taken out of the moment. I want to revel in what I just felt when I was jumping up and down in my living room. And now I get to hear from the person who did it. So, you know, I try and strike that chord. And, and for me, Ben, I'm trying to do this a different way, which is authentic communication, vulnerable com communication, because I think we get better answers from the athletes yeah. in those moments. I think they appreciate that. And because you're in that very unique position, as you sort of mentioned there, you're, you're doing that interview that everybody in Canada, that's the first one they're ever going to see with Andre, that moment, moments after he's won that gold. I mean, yeah, he's going to do 101 interviews in, in the preceding 24 hours, but you're the one who's got him directly after the race. They're those thoughts straight away. So it is a, a sort of the most unique interview that he will do because that's coming straight off the track Then he's walking to you and that's the thoughts at that moment. I love that you said that and and never have I felt more pressure as a as a reporter than at the Tokyo Games because you know you you set that up brilliantly in saying this is a big interview because yes they're going to speak to all these other media outlets but this is their national broadcaster when they see that CBC logo they know who they're talking to 
And, and what was so crazy for me when I was doing all these interviews is normally the athletes would have their family, they would have their friends, they would have that brilliant moment that we're so accustomed to seeing where they run over, they get the hugs, they get draped in the flag. Those are brilliant scenes that play out. They didn't have any of that. So when our Canadians won a medal, we were literally the only other Canadians they were spending a once in a lifetime moment with. And like you said, you don't want to cross that boundary of fan, but in a way I could justify, I, I, I did, I wasn't jumping up and down. I wasn't hugging our athletes, but I went a little extra this time around just to say, you should be so damn proud of what you accomplished in this empty stadium in the backdrop of delays and all of these unknowns you delivered in the biggest moment. And so before we went on air, before any of those, I really made sure to let the athletes know they had done their country proud because they had nobody else to talk to in that moment. We, we talked a lot during our coverage. Colin, our Canadian co-host, uh, he's based in Winnipeg. He's a big fan. He couldn't make it sadly today, but uh, got to give him a shout out here on the episode. But he, he mentioned a lot sort of during the CBC coverage, it's sort of of the limited personnel that CBC obviously had there in Tokyo, a lot of it was from studio in Canada over to Tokyo. We had a similar thing here in Australia, but I think from what it sounds like, we had maybe a few more personnel on the ground in Tokyo. But how many were you? Like, how many reporters? Were you it? Were you the only one there? Or did you have other reporters at certain venues able to cover the different events? Yeah, so we have an interesting setup at the CBC where we kind of have a broadcast unit and and a digital unit who will file, copy, be doing a lot of the social commentary, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok. The kids are on the TikTok. I'm not on the on the TikTok. Still these a Kesha days, song, ben. right? Like that's you know that's all I know. <laughs> from. I don't know what it is. <laughs> exactly, and and so um, from what I heard, we were about a third of what we normally are in terms wow. of size. I was the only Canadian reporter in the entire country to stay for the Olympics and the Paralympics throughout all of that. Wow. I have the unique position at the CBC to sort of bounce between um, our digital senior writer for CBC Sports um, to going on CBC News. And you know we have a 24-hour news channel, which I'll do live hits on every day. Um, we had we had an unparalleled amount of, of social YouTube type of shows, which I would be on as well. Um, and then we have the main Olympic broadcast, which of course I got thrown into the, into the primetime show at the track and field in the midst of all of this as well. So it was, it was the heaviest lift of my career. Um, they were about 18 to 19 hour work days every single day of the Olympics and Paralympics. And I was there for 51 days wow. um, with all of all of these restrictions with um, a 7-Eleven diet, which my stomach is still recovering <laughs> from. Um, don't get me wrong. I loved it. It was like cheat day every day. Um, <laughs> you're allowed when you're pulling those hours. I mean, come on. Perfect excuse, right? <laughs> and Ben, everybody was saying, how are you not gaining weight? I mean, listen, it was, it was 45 degrees i was sweating out every piece of onigiri and sushi and chocolate bar and pokey stick and ice cream um 
but it, but it it was a real challenge and and you know i would be lying to you if i if i didn't tell you you know this was the most rewarding and enriching experience in my career um but it was the most challenging and and there were some you know athletes will always tell you on their path to greatness they were sort of look yourself in the mirror moments of what am i even doing here and there were there were a few of those moments uh you know where my eyes are so bloody bloodshot and you're just trying to get through the next day where you're like how the hell am i gonna make it it's only it's only day eight what <laughs> um and then you kind of get over that hump and and then you're going but no, it can't end. It can't yep. end. Yeah. You know, so that's that's what I always say. But um yeah, it was it was just so special for so many reasons and 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 the history of it and what these athletes and what these organizers and what these volunteers had done really pulled me through it. So how then does that work if you're the only reporter when it comes to being at the venues? When the goals are, I mean, obviously, if you're going to be there the night Andre's running because you're, you're assuming he's in with a good shot. You're going to be at the stadium during the gold medal final for the women's football. You know, you're going to be at the aquatic center when someone like Maggie's got a chance to go there. But like, for example, say the weightlifting, when Maud's winning a gold, like, do you know, do you go there? Do you preempt that? Or is that one that maybe you just, you can't get to when a bit of a shock gold maybe comes Canada's way? You nailed it. You absolutely nailed it. So what we do, um, and, and, you know, I've, I've done a, a couple of these uh, major events now. So what we do is we look with the most fine tooth comb over that entire schedule months out, which, which is such an, it feels like Christmas day for me because you're literally, it's like Christmas every day at the Olympics and you're going, where are we going to win the, these medals? So we, we literally scour over that schedule and go, what are the priorities? What medal events are taking place? What are Canada's best chances? So, you know, I would probably categorize them as like sure, surefire medals could have a surprise and then that shock gold yeah. weightlifting mod, right? So um, we staff it the best we could. Myself and my colleague, Jamie Strashen, were, were the two lead writers on the ground. So him and I would divide and conquer. And you can imagine the negotiations going on there <laughs> for those marquee events. Um and, uh, and then you sort of just divide and conquer. So I was getting to two or three venues every single day. I was writing the lead results file for every one of those events every day. Um, I was doing a news network uh, preview and wrap up in a lot of circumstances. My usual prolific tweeting and everything like that. So I've always said, if you're going to the venue and you do not know this athlete and you do not know what the story is, and usually I have anywhere from 300 to 500 words written on the background of the athlete, the journey of the athlete in the women's uh, soccer match, uh, foot, footy, football match um, example, you know, I had a lot of that story already written because in the chaos 
of those moments and could it have been more bloody chaotic and stressful than that the, the women's gold medal match i mean yeah. that is a reporter's nightmare when you are filing on file you know like are you kidding me like labe makes this save to oh, to keep the match insane. alive and the- we were on air recording our episode and we were watching it live like as as as, as an, two australians colin wasn't on that episode and we're like shitting ourselves going, what is going on right now Wow, this is insane. That was our favorite moment of the entire Olympics. Yeah, I might have sh- shit myself in the press box at Yokohama Stadium that night. Partly, partly because of what was going on and partly because I knew that there would be hundreds of thousands of, of people reading my match recap. I, I haven't said this yet, but I'll tell you, talk about vulnerability. If there's one story of the games that I could have a mulligan on, it is that one. Because the CBC, we were, we were a well-oiled machine. I was very impressed by us. We had results, stories up within two minutes of the conclusion of, of knowing that they had won the medal. Like, it, we have never been better than that. So we're talking... I needed to have that file within 30 seconds of the finish. So for that women's soccer match, I had probably about 500 words to the desk, 30 seconds at the conclusion of that final kick. But then I, but then I would do a write through Ben of every story sort of after I had talked to the athletes and, but the, the, Christine Sinclair, all she wanted to do was party. And I, can you blame her no, after all, all of that? Like, I, I wanted to party with her because I had <laughs> the pass that got me on the pitch. So I was with the team. But do you think they were interested in talking to me? Like, they, they gave me all the time in the world, but they wanted to be in the champagne celebration. So it took a really long time. So my anxiety level was through the roof because you know part of you wants to say hey let's just do the freaking interview so i can get this thing to bed so it was probably about two hours after the conclusion of the match that i finally got the second right through with like some coherent beautiful like poetry of the moment but even then, I don't think it was my best. I mean, it was the most read story. I think it, it had 1.3 million views of that story that day. Wow. Um, which kind of blows my mind. But uh, I, felt, I felt pressure. This is a historic moment for Canada. Yeah. And you better damn well find the words to match that moment. That's insane. Because it's like, that was what, at about... 1, 2 a.m. you would have filed that Tokyo time, but of course, what, Toronto time, that's about midday. So it's kind of, it's it's that time difference sort of angle where you're like, oh, you're adrenaline and that, but you know that it's kind of obviously back home. It's a, it's a little bit of a different time of day for them. Well, and I'm knowing that Canada is waking up to this and they're yeah. going to have an entire day to read this. And now you're right. I filed it at 2.30 in the morning. So you're exhausted it that was i think the second last day of the game so i'm just like i'm on my last life like i'm like i'm like telling myself like an athlete on the final stretch of a marathon i'm like you can do this like pounding away on the keyboard and like reading it over and looking at these egregious errors um 
but I got it. I got it. And uh, it was a really awesome way to close out the games. That moment, that moment with more than 5 million Canadians watching that game on CBC platforms. Um, that was a special moment. Canadian women kick ass. Canadian yeah. women were, were brilliant in Tokyo. In terms of, I mean, we talked a lot about the impact that that gold had. I mean, through all the Olympics that you've covered and, and witnessed, I mean, how, how do you feel that gold medal stacks up in terms of Canadian Olympic history, not just summer, but summer and winter Olympics? This, this will go down for as long as I live as one of the most famous victories for Canada at the Olympics. And, and the fact that it was the first ever traditional team sport gold medal like you know in all the history of it ben we it was so historic that you could have a checklist of all the things that it was a first of and and to me the most brilliant one is that this was the first ever traditional team sport gold medal win for canada and the fact that it was this women's soccer team that since london and that bronze medal and then another bronze medal in Rio has really been building. And then to have the disappointment at the World Cup and all of these questions about whether Bev Priestman was going to be able to get. They were um, a video review away how many times throughout the event from never advancing. They couldn't score a goal for the life of them. Even the tune-up matches, they couldn't score a goal. It is the most Cinderella story run I can think of. And to have Christine Sinclair as, as the, the anchor to all of that, as one of the greatest athletes in Canadian history, who is so incredibly underappreciated. And she's underappreciated partly because of the person who she is, the most humble to a fault person, the most deflect any attention and spotlight. But was but was so cool for me, um, Ben, is at the when her and I were sharing that moment and speaking about what that all meant and, and the legacy as you and I are talking about right now, she immediately went into advocacy mode and said, and can you believe that an Olympic champion team of women soccer players do not have a professional team to go home and play on when we get back to Canada? I mean, she knows she is one smart cookie. Yeah. She knows what she's doing in that moment, in the biggest moment in this country. She's using that platform to say there is a generation of young women and ladies and girls who need something to aspire to. And so to me, this is what this is about, creating a new wave of, of soccer players in Canada. And do, do you see that happening? I mean, one thing I noticed when I was living there, obviously the, the, the men's the CPL was, was very fresh and seemed to be taking off well, obviously with the Men's World Cup, you know, co-hosting in, in 2026. So the sport is, seems to be growing, you know, Alfonso Davies, all those kind of things that are happening there from the men's side of things. But how much do you think this will, will there be a women's league now, a professional league, things like this? Do you think these steps will kind of flow into place now with the success of what they did in Tokyo? I think so, and I hope so, and I'm forever the optimist, but, um, you know, they really have to capitalize on, on the momentum, and there's a lot, of, a lot of conversation 
um, which has sort of always been ongoing about women in sport and put women on TV. I'm proud to be working for, for a broadcaster where as one of our pillars, and this was recently introduced about a year and a half ago, two years, one of our four pillars at CBC Sports is equal representation on every broadcast platform we have. We have 50-50 men's and women's coverage. So from Instagram posts to Twitter posts to the story on our main landing page to the sports we're showing on our main network, it is 50-50, Ben. And we right. are nailing we are nailing that commitment. So I, I believe a women's league is eminent in Canada. Um, but you talk about sort of this golden age of footy in Canada. I mean, I just bought my ticket to this World Cup qualifier at BMO Field in Toronto, Canada versus Panama next week. And people are clamoring in this country about this soccer team. They're going to Commonwealth Stadium in Edmonton uh, to play Jamaica and Mexico. Edmonton is freaking cold in November. <laughs> yes. Al Al Alfonso, Alfonso Davies is going home to Edmonton. Right. That place is going to be electric. Canada is, is showing, and this is what's exciting to me, Canada is showing that it's not just the cold winter ice sport nation that it's been for so long. It isn't just curling and hockey anymore. Our track and field athletes, that long distance 5,000 meter silver medal by Mo Ahmed, to me, is one of the greatest medals in Canadian Olympic history because no other people outside of the African countries wins medals in those distance events. And now we have a Canadian do it in the pool, on the track, um, on the pitch, tennis athletes yeah. excelling. Finally in this country, because I think of those who paved the way, and that's what I think um, this soccer this soccer win is going to do in, in Canada, for sure. Which I, I loved it. I mean, as I mentioned, off air, I was living in Victoria and I sadly didn't get to go to any Pacific FC games, but I've been watching them, you know, seeing them recently beat the White Caps and going through to the semis of the, the Canadian, like all that kind of stuff. It's, it's amazing. And obviously Australia's got the, uh, the the World Cup in a couple of years, uh, the Women's World Cup. So we're, uh, we're going to be cheering outside of the Matildas, of course. We have to go for the Matildas, but uh, we'll obviously uh, we'll obviously do that. I'd like to switch, like, obviously with Beijing coming up, like sort of what you're, you're talking about there in terms of just that level of, of pride that Canada are taking from the summer athletes when obviously you're so focused on winter. It's kind of the opposite of what we have here. Like we're obviously so focused on the summer. Come winter, we're sort of looking at these athletes and we're on this show trying to talk the achievements up of some of these people. But how how is it then kind of with such a turnaround for you? You spent 51 days in Tokyo. You've come home for for a bit of time, and I'm assuming you're not that far away from probably getting on a plane again to Beijing. I mean, how are you, how are you looking forward to kind of switching focus so quickly? Because this is not how it generally works for you between summer and winter Olympics. This is not how it works, and and now I have a new appreciation for my colleagues who you know in the the 80s and early 90s were doing this turnaround right when they had the games as, as close year. as they did. Yeah, yeah, same year. Um, Listen, I, I was having Beijing planning meetings in Tokyo. Wow. So, so, so I would have those 18, 19 hour days of coverage 
come back to my hotel room, munching on 7-Eleven and going into Zoom meetings to talk about what our coverage is going to look like in Beijing. And uh, I haven't talked about it a lot, but I can tell you um, it'll be more it'll be more public in, in the coming weeks. But yes, I will be the only reporter yet again staying for, for the Olympics and the Paralympics in Beijing. Um, so I am mentally preparing. <laughs> <laughs> I can imagine that's a bit more challenging for a winter, though, for, for Canada, because while, you know, seven gold for Canada is great in the summer, I mean, kind of that that's almost the minimum requirement for, for a winter team right nowadays with the success you guys have had recently. Yeah, I mean, if there are only seven gold medals at the Winter Games, there's going to be a national summit, right? <laughs> yeah. um, um, and who knows what, what we're going to expect. Um, it's weird, Ben, because you'll know that the Summer Olympics are just such a behemoth of, a, of an event. And, and so, yes, Canada wins a few more medals because, you know, I believe we had 29, a historic amount in, in Pyeongchang, which I was at. And I covered, I, I think, I can't remember how many gold we had. Was it 11 in, in Pyeongchang? 10 or 11, 11 or 12. My head. Yeah, yeah. So I think I covered eight or nine of the 10 or 11. Like, wow, it was wild. I, I, I was really right place, right time, good planning. Um, but there are so, so many fewer events um, in the winter in the winter games that I actually prefer them for that reason alone, because I just feel like there's less chaos and less sort of where do I have to be and like keeping my eye on things. And, and I will sometimes have to write uh, stories remotely. Uh, that's been made easier because of this pandemic. And we're all just so used to doing the post whatever on, on zoom, but yeah, I mean, listen, I'm going I'm going to be focused on the curling because that's my thing and we know that there isn't a more uh, grueling beat to cover at the Olympics in curling because it is the only event that not only goes every day of the Olympics but it actually starts 2 days ahead of the Olympics now because of mixed doubles. So February 2nd is go time for me because we're the defending Olympic champions in mixed doubles. And then curling is every single day after that. And there are three, there are nine to 10 hours of curling every single day of the Olympics. And I am Canada's national curling reporter. And we are for the first time ever, Colleen Jones and I, the queen of curling, <laughs> we're, we're hosting that curling show every day throughout wow. the Olympics. So I will be doing that show as well as running to the speed skating, the men's and women's hockey and figure skating and whatever else I can get to in my limited hours throughout That's, all of that. David, like, I, I mean, look again, if you need a random Australian assistant, CBC <laughs> can afford it. I'm, I'm happy to put my hand up because we like to call the Winter Olympics on this show the real Olympics because, mm. you know, you, you mentioned about sort of the, the, the events. Like this is a thing that, the Winter Olympics to us, there's no dart events. There's there's not a single event at the Winter Olympics where I could say, nah, get rid of it. Summer Olympics, well, that's a whole other conversation. But that's the, <laughs> that's the beauty of it. I'm trying to pitch myself to our national broadcaster here in Australia to be the Nordic Combined Consultant um, because, you know, I, I don't know how big the sport is here in Australia and we won't have any athletes. But, hey, if people are staying up to 1 o'clock in the morning wanting to watch Nordic. So if CBC need a Nordic Combined expert, I, I'm happy to put my hand up. You're in, you're in, you can, you can have that. And that's a pretty, that's a pretty cushy, nice sort of gig, 
Ben. So, hey, yeah, I, I can't I, imagine there are many people clamoring for it uh, too too much. <laughs> we, we actually we spoke to Nathaniel Maher, a Canadian Nordic combined, and he gave a great interview, sort of talking about how you know it sort of it, it does struggle a lot in Canada, kind of that sort of mm. sport, and you know that's a whole other a topic there. But I mean, the beauty for us as Australians is we don't see these sports. Like you, you talk about you know eight nine hours of curling, you've got a curling show every single day. Literally in this country, nobody could talk about curling at all until the Olympics are on. And it's generally one of those sports they show five minutes of. Here are the Norwegians' fancy pants at these Olympics, and then they move exactly. straight back onto something exactly. else. Like Australians and curling just don't go together. We actually have a pair in the mixed doubles, uh, Dean Hewitt and Tali Gill, who are on the And they're good. They are. They are very good. They're so they're, good. they're on the cusp of being our first ever Olympic curlers. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, uh, they went on a magical run in Stavanger, Norway at the Mixed Doubles World Curling fourth. Championships in 2019. They came in fourth, and I believe yep. they lost a semifinal, uh, maybe to Sweden or maybe to the United States, or a quarterfinal, I one of the two. I think it was Sweden off the top, because we had them on the show, um, and, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was uh, Sweden. But, yeah, I mean, that's what you know what we talked about that. We, we, we just we, – because it was baffling to think that that basically got no coverage in Australia. Like here is – and this is where we have these winter athletes on. They punch so far above their weight in this country. And right. it, it's, it's come to the point in Australia now that if we – we haven't won a gold since Vancouver and yet all of a sudden we'll go in and come out of Pyeongchang, ah, oh, disappointing, only two silvers and a bronze. That's not disappointing. That's freaking amazing that Australia right. has won three – I grew up when we got a bronze and it was like street parties. Like this this should be <laughs> celebrated now. Australians are getting cocky at the winters. This isn't good. <laughs> That's hilarious. And actually, you know what I want to say to that? Because, I mean, you guys are brilliant in in the summer games. But, you know, Canadians are now having those expectations as well. And when Mm. I think about winning 24 medals at the Summer Olympics and 29 medals at the Winter Games, like, I would like to see where Canada ranks if you combine Tokyo and Pyeongchang in the in the medal standings because so, so you're telling me Australia won three medals in Pyeongchang. Three medals in Is Pyeongchang. That what you're saying? Yep, we did two silvers. So and, bronze. Uh, and, yep. and how many did did Australia finish with in in Tokyo? Four, 48, 49. We had seventeen gold. Was it forty eight, forty nine in total uh, off the top of my head? Yeah. So so, so fifty one medals. So you you put the twenty nine with the twenty four. Canada has fifty. You, we beat you. There you so go, Colin. Take that. That's how you do it. <laughs> I like Let's this, Devin. <laughs> That's clever. But, but, I mean, I think this is really how we should be doing the medal yeah. standing, should we not? But, Absolutely. But it just, go, but it, it just goes to, to to show that in this country, we are more balanced. You know, when you look at twenty nine and twenty four, than a lot of nations in the rest of the world, and. And I think that's something Canadian fans got to be reminded of. And Ben, I think you just gave me some Twitter ammunition. Do it. Because I, I haven't thought about this. Hey, this aggregate. But this is the thing. Like, it's, it's perfect like that because that always does fascinate me too. Kind of these, I guess, aggregate countries. Like, I mean, obviously, you know, the US, you've got China, you know, Russia, like the standard Russia, countries you're looking yeah. at. But we were obviously talking a lot during Tokyo about freaking Norway. We're like going, Norway, stop winning summer. <laughs> this isn't good. You're too good at the winters. We can't have you being good at summer as well now you've got canada doing it so you, what, yeah. what you're basically saying is come beijing australia's got to actually start winning some of these fucking golds that we have promised for right so laura <laughs> peel you're the world champion crystal globe no 
pressure, get that gold. You know, Scotty James, gold. You got to do it. Jared Hughes, get the get gold. The, like, no pressure. Get that gold. <laughs> no, you have the weight of a country on your shoulders. <laughs> it's got to click. It's got to click all of a sudden to, to come through that. Amazing. One thing, uh, well, two things actually to sort of close it out. One Olympic-based, one more of a, a personal. Ben Waterworth has to ask you about the experience because I'm incredibly jealous about it uh, question. Mm. Out of all the Olympics you've been to, do you have sort of a favourite? Like, I mean, and also how many have you been to, I guess, kind of on top of that and, and sort of what, what has been your, your favourite that you have gone to? Yeah, so so I've done, I did the Pyeongchang Olympics. I did the Youth Olympics in Lausanne, Switzerland. Now I've got the these uh, Summer Olympics under my belt and, of course, now going to Beijing. And, and Ben, let me just say, if I, if I only ever cover Olympics for the rest of my career, every two years the rest of the way and having started going to going to my first games when i was uh, 31 years old you know i i want to set an olympic record for most olympics covered by a journalist um <laughs> brisbane which, 2032 which here be, you come then you've got 11 years hey, perfect <laughs> hey that is marked on my schedule i i have every intention on being there um oh live what what would be some of my favorite moments um I think I think about um, Ted Jan Bloman, the the Dutch speed skater who defected uh, to Canada, <laughs> as as the Dutch Perfect would say. Perfect place to get them from, right? That's where you want them. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. When he won gold um, at the Oval in Pyeongchang in the ten thousand meter, uh, and and sticking it to his rival Sven Kramer, um, that was a that was incredible. That was incredible to watch and speak to Ted Yon. And, and what was neat for me about that story is um, in October leading into February, I went to the Oval in Calgary and spent a bunch of time with the speed skaters and on sort of this nonchalant, calm, random afternoon in October, Ted Yon set the Olympic Oval record in the 10,000 meter. And I was there with his fiance at the time watching him that day, just pure coincidence. And I interviewed Ted Yon after that. And he looked at me and I'll never forget the way he looked at me, Ben. He said, I think I can do this. I think I can do this at the Olympics. And to see that come full circle and the lead of my story be on an idle, random October afternoon in Calgary, Ted Yon Bloman, knew this moment could happen. Wow. That is that is a journalist's dream to be yeah. able to have that sort of lead when everybody else in the world is literally saying, Ted Jan Bloman of Canada has won gold setting an Olympic record in the 10,000 meter. I had this nugget of this guy knew this moment was coming months before it materialized. Fantastic. That's magic. Yeah. That's magic to me as a journalist. And then, you know, there's there's moments at the Paralympics. Um, you know, our wheelchair curling team lost a heartbreaking semifinal game to China and then came back and won bronze. And Marie Wright, a single mother of three, three or four daughters from Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, my province, whose husband left her after she had a horrific tractor injury became paralyzed husband leaves her she has young daughters to raise and she never quit 
And there she is at the Paralympics telling me with tears in her eyes and two of her daughters that she raised now cheering on their mother saying, I never thought I'd be on a podium in my life. Now at that moment, and I'm getting emotional talking about it because Marie Wright to me sums up the journey of an athlete and, and serves as a reminder of what we are all capable of. And so that's why I do this work because I'm afforded the perspectives of someone like Marie Wright to remind us that A, maybe life isn't so bad of whatever I'm going through and B, to never, never, ever give up on your dreams. Great message, Aaron. Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of those obviously moments you're getting to share just all levels of, of being there and part of that. Just, uh, yeah, absolutely amazing. <clears throat> I have to ask, Devin, I'm a Raptors fan. You were there. Okay. You were through the run. Can, can you make me jealous about what it was like? You talk all the way back to the Rough Riders. You want to do this as a living. You get, you're get you there through all of that. I believe yeah. you were in the rooms yeah. afterwards. Were you not celebrating yeah. with them? I mean, yeah. yeah. What, and how does that rank on everything that you have covered? That's that's like top one of all the ones. Right, Ben? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I wouldn't often tell someone they should be jealous, but this would be a moment that I would be jealous of. It was truly sensational. Um, that summer of 2019 in Toronto, when I got to travel with the Raptors and then go to, to Arthur Ashe and cover Bianca Andreescu's historic championship, is a time in my career I will never forget and I will never take that for granted. But specific to the Raptors, and that final series, to be able to fly back and forth to, to the hallowed uh, grounds of Oracle, knowing that these are the last games ever, and signifying the end of a dynasty, and knowing that the Toronto Raptors, <laughs> let's be honest, Ben, if you're a fan of the team, they might never win a championship yeah. again or, or, yeah. or the foreseeable future. And to bear witness to that... And, and to be in the locker room with all of what transpired in, in the place that it was transpiring in and to be drenched, you talk about no cheering in the press box. I was sitting in the stands in Oracle Arena because the press box was overflowing that they had to, they had to make makeshift desks for the media in the, wow. in the stands. So I literally watched the game in the bleachers with these rabid, crazed, spoiled Warriors fans. <laughs> and I'm cheering for the Raptors. <laughs> you can't help it. Come on. <laughs> I, I can't help it. And and you'll remember, you'll remember how game six finished with the yeah. confusion and the yeah. chaos of it all. And 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 you know, the, the cool thing for me is I'm trying to fight through the crowd to get from the, the nosebleed seats in the middle of all of that. And guess who's in front of me, leading me through all of it down to the, to the floor. I want, I want, you know, tell me, I, I'm not even going to guess. I need, I'm ruining your story. I'm, I'm caught up in it, Devin. <laughs> no, 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 no. Chris Bosch. Oh, wow. Out of all the people to be walking down at that exact moment, the daunting, figure of Chris Bosch. So I sort of just pushed him ahead of me. Him and I talked about it. He was, he was so giddy about what had happened for the Raptors. 
I was so giddy. And we kind of just tried to talk, but really had nothing coherent to say. Yeah. And then to be in the locker room, sprayed by champagne, to be the cigar swirling around, and then to see Kawhi, you know, to see Kawhi celebrating with his family and seeing how much that moment meant to him. Like I, I had sort of snuck around. I tried to be a detective of where the moments could unfold and the media sort of missed it because they were with Norm and, and Serge and all those guys who were hilarious and like just partying out of control. But Kawhi was off to the side with his family and I'll never forget him popping the champagne bottle and, and going to swig it and then looking at his mom and letting her have the first sweet taste of victory. Those are moments been etched into my mind um, that will play over and over like the best movie I could have ever imagined um, for the rest of my life. And um, you talk about fear of matching words to the moment. I wrote the story of the Raptors historic win. Um, it's you know, when athletes say it's something, it's something they'll never be able to take, take away from me. I'll never, nobody will ever be able to take away that magical night in June at Oracle Arena to close out that arena when the Raptors won that championship. You're getting me emotional already. I, I remember being a, on a couch, an Australian Raptors fan in New Zealand, watching that on a Friday afternoon, crying my eyes out. So um, <laughs> just uh, that... I'm that moment for yourself like just I mean I, I'm expecting when you write your book one day that this is just going to be you know the largest chapter in your autobiography come on Devin that, that I mean a book in itself yeah yeah you know what I I will write a book I will write a book because I have been blessed of of being in the right place at the right time and and in closing Ben you know I feel so so immensely grateful to do this work and People who have followed me for, for a while now sort of know that when I show up at a sporting event, sort of this unbelievable drama unfolds. And I think any journalist has to have a, some luck throughout their career to be assigned to the right stories at the right time in history to sort of elevate their stature as a journalist because they're, they're a, sort of awarded and provided these moments and and early in my career i've been i've been awarded and provided these sort of really awesome moments and i just hope you always hope as a journalist that uh, that the luck and the words never run out i like that that's a perfect way to uh to end that just before we do let you go Dem, people who want to stay up to date with you sort of throughout beijing and everything else along those lines where can they follow you instagram twitter places like that all of that, all of that at Devin underscore Haru, D-E-V-I-N underscore H-E-R-O-U-X. And I will be tweeting. I apologize in advance for uh, the photos of my plants, my scarf collection, my cereal <laughs> bowls of coffee. But I promise you will get the sporting updates you need. You just made me want to follow you even more. I mean, I already do follow you. I kind of just want to follow you again just for, for making it that exciting. <laughs> Devin, it's been an absolute pleasure, mate, to, to learn about everything that you've talked about today. Best of luck with Beijing. And, uh, yeah, this might be the first interview that I think we didn't spend the portion of it talking about 7-Eleven, so you're welcome. Um, and I look forward to the, the CBC call-up for Nordic Combined. You, I'll, I'll give you my number so they can make sure they give me a call-up for Beijing. I'm, I'm waiting for you to be the official Nordic Combined Correspondent for the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. <laughs> <laughs>
And a massive, massive thanks to Devin. They're so much fun. I am just absolutely jealous that he got to do all that with the Raptors. But I'm also incredibly excited to be the CBC Nordic Combined expert. So I'm essentially going to be working for Channel 7 and CBC during the Beijing Olympics. So I'm going to be a very busy man, apparently, when it comes to being the Nordic Combined Expert coming up in the coming weeks. But a big, massive thanks to Devon there. And I'm actually extremely jealous that I am not going to be in Canada to be able to see his great coverage during the Beijing Olympics. So I uh, sincerely hope that Colin will be able to keep us up to date with Daily Devon. I feel we want Daily Devon antics. And I want to watch the curling show. I really want a curling show here in Australia. Channel 7, if you're listening, again, I'll do the Nordic Combined and the curling show. I'll have Dean and Tarly coverage every single day during the uh, the Beijing Olympics. So uh, there's another idea for you out there. In the meantime, we are very, very close, of course, to Beijing. We're very close to our 200th episode. So you can sniff two big things really coming soon here on Off the Podium. If you want to stay up to date with everything that we've got, of course, coming out for you, you can subscribe on all good podcast platforms out there. Simply search for Off the Podium. Subscribe, leave us some feedback. We'd love to hear what you think of the show along the way as well. And, of course, social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, it's where you stay up to date with everything that's going on there. And if there's a guest you want us to get on the show, an episode topic you want us to cover, why not shoot us a message? We'd love to hear from you or just let us know what you think of the show. We would definitely really appreciate the feedback. Once again, a big thanks to Devin for his time. As always, a special shout out to Jason Momoa. My name is Ben, this is Off the Podium, and remember, go left. What an episode. You loved every single second of it. It's been, again, just quickly reminding you once again, if you want to help us win a Sports Podcast Award, sportspodcastawards.com, register to vote, click on Best Olympic and Paralympic Podcast section, listen to the other nominees, and then go, hey, off the podium's awesome. They're so good. They put in so much work and so much effort, and we just love them, and they deserve to go on the podium for once. Ben's awesome. Jared's awesome. Colin's okay, but he's also kind of awesome. We'd really appreciate it. And particularly if you've actually listened to the rest of this and ended up here, because generally I assume you've well and truly tuned out by now. But seriously, if you're at this point of the podcast, then you're a true listener. And that means that you're a true fan and you should vote for us. Sportspodcastawards.com. Do it now. We will thank you forever. Literally ever. Like every episode moving forward, we will thank you forever. Sportspodcastawards.com. All right. Thanks for tuning in. We'll speak to you next time on Off the Podium. I'm I'm really going to go now. Bye.